0: Welcome to Don't IEP Alone, the only podcast dedicated to helping parents navigate the IEP process and hosted by a special education advocate. Your host has been attending IEP meetings for over a decade and has helped thousands of parents go from an IEP rookie to an IEP all-star. Be prepared to learn tips that will be a total game changer for you as a parent advocate and most importantly, your child's outcomes. Partnered with the award-winning Lock-A-Day-In-Our-Shoes, you'll be confident, knowledgeable, and actually looking forward to your next IEP meeting. Don't IEP alone. Get ready. Here's your host, from suburban Philadelphia, Lisa Leitner.
1: Hey there, Lisa again, and today we are going to talk about transition and the transition portion of the IEP. Um... My plan is to get this all into one podcast. I have a list of items I want to touch on here. But sometimes I talk too much and uh, it might spill over into two podcasts. Um, Transition. It's a section of the IEP that, um, well, first of all, depending on your state, IDEA calls for age 16, that um, that's when the child should have a transition plan. Um, many states have, mine included, have backed that up to 14, And that at age 14 is when transition should start. Um, And I know I've told this story many times. One of my clients, um, actually she wasn't a client. I was her surrogate, surrogate parent. And I have a blog post on that. If if you want to learn about what an IEP educational surrogate is and how to become one. It's a provision in IDEA for kids who do not have parents to look out for them at IEP meetings. So anyway, I was her surrogate. She was in the system, as they say, um, had been in the foster care system for most of her life. She was 15 when I became her surrogate. And like many kids who I've said before are thrice marginalized, um, poor, living in poverty, because she's an an orphan, uh, minority, and disabled. So it's just, it's really, really sad because um, families like me who I serve, and by that I mean um, we're not a minority, and we are middle class, and even if we're lower middle class, we're not struggling to the point of, you know, those who are living in poverty. And anyway, families like me, even those who are wealthy, you know what a struggle the IEP process can be. You should see what it's like for the kids who have no one um, and live in poverty. Anyway. Anyway, I've told this story that her transition plan, and the, the transition is a section of the IEP. Her transition plan was this she likes to braid hair. That was her transition plan. Well, And what's really unfortunate is that, honestly, that sentence, I can do a lot with that sentence and that piece of knowledge that she likes to braid hair. Because I can have her visit and explore cosmetology. I can try to find her volunteer and shadowing experiences in hair salons. Um, There's a lot that can really be done with that but it wasn't it was she likes to braid hair okay um the earlier you're starting the transition and I had I had a boss one time or a mentor who said transition starts in kindergarten um and I get that that if you have a disabled child you, you are worrying about what that last day of school is going to look like. And you are worried about what your child is going to do as an adult. I get that. But I don't like to put that much pressure on their parents because um, I think we have enough time to worry. And, yeah, I want you to think about the end game and what graduation day is going to look like. But at the same time, you know, I want people to enjoy their kids. Kids are fun. And we can't spend our entire time as as disability parents um, worrying about the IEP. You have to enjoy your kids too. So I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Um, transition starts the first day of school, um, which is a common sentiment that's out there. That being said, you know, maybe, yeah, you want to start thinking about it when they're 10 or 11 or 12, you know, before that age 14 or 16. I have a great blog post on my site with a free printable workbook if you um, look for a vision statement. And it really all begins with the vision. And the speaker that, that... And I've heard her speak, and we've actually become kind of friendly since then because she lives in a neighboring school district. Um, she did a vision statement for her child. And that was to be... Um, What was it? Uh, Meaning meaningful employment with supported living. And she already had meaningful employment. She was working at a local retailer, but the school was pushing toward sheltered workshop. And so the vision just wasn't there. The vision wasn't the same because as I've since adopted the phrase, how do you draw your roadmap if you don't know where you're going? So the first part of that transition plan is you need to know where you're going. And that's why I don't necessarily like that transition begins in kindergarten. Because I don't know too many five and six year olds who know where they're going. That being said, it can be very broad. If you have a child at five or six or eight years old diagnosed with an intellectual disability, you might just have that broad view of... Supported living with meaningful employment or meaningful volunteer opportunities or meaningful contribution to the community because inclusion means contribution. they should be contributing something, what that looks like for each person is going to be different um It's going to be on parents. What I've learned is, first of all, we know our adult systems are strapped. First, in some states, they just don't even really offer much. And then you come to states like mine who offer a lot. But since my state has become known as one of the better states for providing adult opportunities, um, people literally move here. From neighboring states, and I think we neighbor on six or eight state. I think we have six or eight different state borders, um, and then the system becomes strained to the point where, yeah, we have adult services, but the wait list is a decade long. So you have from age twenty to age thirty, and what are you going to do for those ten years, right? So what I'm finding. And even what a lot of our adult service providers are starting to tell clients is that you have to create it. So you're going to have to use that network that you have. You're going to have to use that social capital and build social capital and have connections that your child can start shadowing people and start volunteering and things like that. But a transition plan can include, you know, a lot of different, can and should include a lot of different things. And um, it's not just academics. It's independent living skills. It's being able to read or use a bus schedule. Um, And that might be an antiquated notion. It might be, you know, in today's society, it might be, knowing how to safely use Uber and how to use the Uber app to get places if driving is not going to be a possibility. And for some kids driving might be a possibility, but it just might not be a possibility at 16 or 18. It may be a possibility when they're 25. It might be travel training. Um, It's that whole piece of, if I give you $20 bill, And we stop at Wawa. Um, Do you guys know what Wawa is? It's a little like food market, mini marketplace that's popular in Philadelphia. Sorry if I... I think it is pretty Philadelphia-centered. I don't think it's in many other places. But it's a huge thing around here, Wawa. It's a funny name. Wawa is the... Uh, I think it's a Native American word for goose, but anyway, I digress. Um, If I pull up to Wawa and hand my son a $20 bill and say, go get us some dinner, can he go in there and do that? Can he go in there and in his head, you know, price out like say two sandwiches, two sides and two drinks for $20, can he do that? Um, That's a functional living skill that you need as an adult. Um, Adult services are eligibility based. This is very different from the schools. The schools are entitlement programs. The schools have entitlement type services. Adult services are eligibility-based. You're going to have to demonstrate eligibility. But there are so many different things that can be a part of the transition plan. And for our higher-functioning kids, and what I mean by that, and I, I really dislike that higher functioning, lower functioning, I, I hate that. But at the same time, when I say higher functioning kids, most of you know what I mean. I'm talking about, you know, your kids who have learning disabilities, ADHD, dyslexia, you know, the high functioning autism or whatever they're calling it these days. Um, the kids for whom college and community college is a much higher possibility than it is for a child like mine. Um, but these higher functioning kids whom I've had as clients many times, if I see one more transition plan that says we'll research three colleges, I'm going to, I think my head might explode. Right? Some of you are probably chuckling even right now because you're like, oh my God, that's what my kid's transition plan says. We'll research three colleges. It's like the schools are just so completely unoriginal when it comes to transition plans for these kids. They need to learn and know that they're going to have to self-advocate. You're not handed. There are no IEPs in college. You can get a 504, but the onus is on the student. The student has to visit the correct office on campus. The student has to self-identify and self-advocate. And those skills don't magically appear on graduation day. The the student needs to be able to self-identify what their needs are and be able to self-advocate for those needs. And that's big for a lot of our kids. That's huge. So some of those things can be part of a transition plan. Okay, for some of our kids... Um, You know, it's the job hunting. It's the knowing, you know, do they know how to use a website like Indeed? And how to do a search, a job search. How to fill out those online forms. Okay, please don't allow your kids to be stereotyped. It just makes me crazy. Well, First of all, I'm never ever going to shame anyone for their skill set or lack thereof. Your skill set is your skill set. And we need to stop attaching so much value based upon a person's skill set. All people have value. It's just different value. But I'll tell you what. If I go to one more restaurant. And I don't go to fancy restaurants. I go to like a lot of like kind of family cafe, sandwich type places. But if I go to one more restaurant like that and see a person with Down syndrome wiping and busting tables, again, my head's going to explode. Why do we pigeonhole these kids into doing that? There's no shame in being a bus person. There's no shame in doing that. But each time I see it, I have to wonder, did anyone challenge that person to do something more? Is there a reason that person can't be a waitress? Is there a reason that person can't be a chef or a cook? Is there a reason that person can't be the hostess or the maitre d? And I I don't go to a lot of restaurants with maitre d's. I have kids. We don't go to those types of places. But you get what I'm saying here. Why is it that we pigeonhole them That they can clean up the tables and bust them and wipe them down and take out the trash. Okay. Transition plans should be strength-based. All of IEPs should be strength-based. But take it from your child's strengths and build from there. For me, I think I worked in food service in college. I, I lived down at the beach for a couple of summers and worked at a pizza place as counter help and I hated it I did it because yeah you could work at the beach and live live down at the beach for two summers I hate food service I hate it it's just not me and and kudos to those of you who like to cook and and who are interested in the restaurant industry I love you because I patronize you all the time But that's another thing I wonder, like, did anyone even ask that person with Down syndrome if they wanted to work in food service? Were they ever even offered anything else? Because I just see it so often. Okay. At the same time, the world needs very few video game testers. Okay, and I know that we have a lot of these kids who are, I love video games, and I'm, you know, yeah, that's your strength that you're really good at video games, but we also have to be realistic. And the world just doesn't need a whole lot of video game testers. Okay, but hey, maybe you could work at GameStop. Maybe you can get into coding and designing video games. There are a lot of things you can do working in the video game industry, which is huge, by the way, it's a multi billion dollar industry. With a lot of jobs in it. Just not a lot of video game testers. Okay. Transition plan should be, you know, like it's this ultimate goal of the last day of school should be the, look exactly the same as the first day after graduation your child should be doing on that last day of school the same thing that they're going to be doing on that first day of graduation. That's where you want to get them. And there just aren't a lot of programs out there and there's not a lot of funding for those programs. And I've heard stories of parents and I've heard this directly from people at the county who finally their number came up on the wait list and they get these adult waivers, which is what we call them in Pennsylvania. They get these adult waivers, so finally they have some funding for programs for their adult with disabilities. And they have no place to spend it. There's no, There are no programs. You're going to have to create these things. It's on us. It's just the cards we were dealt. It's not something I ever dreamed as a 15 or 20 or even 25 year old that I would be doing as a parent but here we are and this is what we're going to have to do okay self-determination and person-centered planning let them lead the way our kids have dreams and passions and interests just like everyone else I once had a student. I used to teach in a vocational program many years ago. Um, not that many years ago, ten years ago, I used to teach in this uh, this adult vocational program, and I had a young woman. She was on the. She is. She was. Still is. I'm assuming was. She's on the spectrum, higher functioning. That's the term we use then, and. <clears throat> she wanted to be a veterinarian. And I. it just broke my heart that so many people told her that she could never be a veterinarian. And they were right. This child really struggled with a lot of academic concepts. And veterinary school is, you know, it's it's a medical school. And... And it's very competitive to get into them because we only have a few dozen veterinary schools in this country. And they were correct. She probably couldn't very easily become a veterinarian. I know. But what about what she can do? She could have been a dog walker. She could have worked as a receptionist or a vet assistant Or a groomer, a grooming assistant. Heck, why can't she work at Petco? You know, in their adoption department. There are just so many other things that you can do if you love animals. She could have worked at a shelter. There were just so many different training opportunities and shadowing and volunteering opportunities. I mean, the animal and pet industry is huge. Veterinarians are just a very small part of the, of the pet ownership industry. So we need to focus on what our kids can do, not what they can't do. I had another client one time, um, and his his dream was to be a golfer at a division one school or I forget what kind of coach he wanted to be. He wanted to be a coach at a division one school. And again, he probably, he, you know, I'd, I'd love to know where he is today. I should email mom. Um, But it was so much focusing on he can't do that and not enough focus on you can't do that at age 18. That you may not be ready for that now, but maybe by age 25 you can do this. Or maybe you can't be the division one athlete, but you can still be involved in the sport and there are different ways to be involved in that activity. Okay, the bus stops coming at age 21. That school bus is not going to come anymore. So what's the plan? If the plan is that the child is going to have volunteer opportunities or be a volunteer or be in a vocational training program and learning to use Uber, their last day of school should include them taking Uber to that volunteer opportunity or to that vocational training program because you can't expect them to just flip on a dime And the last day of school, their school bus comes to get them. But then the first day of adulthood, all of a sudden they learn to use Uber. Okay, I think this is going to have to go into two parts. This is just broad concepts I want you to think about for transition. And maybe I'll, I'll, I guess I will do another podcast because this one's already getting pretty long on concrete steps because the transition plans for the most part that I've seen from clients are just junk just junk we'll research three schools like that doesn't prepare them for adulthood it just doesn't and that's what we need to be doing okay so anyway stay tuned for part two because it's I will do a part two. Talk to you then.
0: Thanks for listening to the Don't IEP Alone podcast. No parent should have to IEP alone. And with A Day in Our Shoes, you don't have to. For more IEP assistance and letter templates, visit adayinhourshoes.com. For ongoing assistance and support, follow our Facebook page and group.
2: wait